Welcome back to another Valley Sports Plug Roundtable. It is September 6, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Patrick. With me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Michael Benjamin, fresh off of a trip from the great state of Utah and freshly eliminated from our fantasy football playoffs. Son of a, of course you got to leave with that. What's going on, Chris? Mike, it's been, I feel like, a little bit since we uh, got to sit around and chat sports. We had a great time doing our fantasy football draft, you know, from one fantasy sport to another. Uh, had our Diamondbacks recap last week, so I'm excited to be back here. There's plenty to talk about. Uh, I mean, man, just right before we launched, we were talking about how the summer is finally coming to an end. We're rolling into the fall, so we got football, basketball, and postseason baseball coming our way, so... Man, I'm super excited for what's ahead. What about you, man? What's going on? Man, it, it, it just never stops, dude. It's crazy. Finally going to get the Cardinals on the field. It's going to be probably a shit show of a season, but we'll get through it together. Diamondbacks are in the hunt. Half game back. Got a great call up today as well. We're going to talk about that. But Chris, I was telling you beforehand, dude, I don't think I've ever watched as much tennis in my life. It was, it was something that I just didn't expect, but... Shout out Ben Shelton getting a big win against Tiafu, going up against uh, the best probably ever Novak Djokovic in the semifinals. But I'm ready to talk about Valley Sports and I'm ready to bring on our guest, a very familiar face. Let's do it. Fly from his quarantine. We got the sickly boy Ian in the house. Welcome back, Ian. How are you doing? Not bad. I just got back from Labor Day weekend in Colorado, which was dope. And I'm just chilling now. I got COVID on the way back because airports are disgusting. And yeah, now I'm just trying to rest easy so I can be healthy for Pittsburgh next week. That's the goal. Valley Sports Plug Boy is going to be live in Pittsburgh. Probably won't do a show, but I'm sure we'll get some something out there for you. I feel like I say that every time we're about to go on a trip. Mike, last time when we were going to Vegas, I was like, watch out for some content. And then Vegas did what Vegas does. Um, we, hey, don't <laughs> sell yourself too short. We got some stuff out there. We had a beautiful Tallman ticket. The infamous one where Tallman decided to go with Kirk Cousins, who never wins in the playoffs. That was so close <laughs> to hitting. But hey, we're going to be bringing some stuff to you. We're going to be out at some games. We're going to be seeing the uh, the Pirates versus Ian's Yankees. I, I don't know how that's going to go for you guys, Ian. But then we're also going to Monday Night Football, Browns versus Steelers. Oof, I am pumped, man. Dude, it's going to be so fucking sweet. I love PNC Park. I've never been there in person. I've been outside of it. Um, but actually watching a game at the stadium is going to be really cool. And Ian, if you don't do it for me, at least get better so you can see the Yankees. True. I want, I want that for you, man. True. Even, even though Andrew McCutcheon will not be playing in that game. Nope. No McCutcheon. Oh, is Cabrian Hayes playing? He should. Last I last I heard he was healthy, but uh, right. I, it's, it's, it's weird. They were kind of sellers at the trade deadline, and then I feel like in the little bit I've been keeping up to them, they've been winning semi-regularly. Like, it's they're not in, like, full tank mode. But I think Pirates are just in a kind of a weird – situation they, they kind of are very similar to the d-backs i feel like in that regard where they don't have the biggest payroll so they kind of have to work through their system and, and building players up there but we're not here to talk about the pittsburgh pirates right <laughs> i mean mike like you said we got some cardinals topics we'll roll into the diamondbacks uh go 
deeper into baseball and other things like that. Wanted to touch on uh, basketball season coming up and some uh, FIBA World Cup action that's been going on. Um, and then we'll wrap it up with some some pop culture and video game topics because it's been a little while since we did that. So not a fully dedicated pop culture stream tonight, but we are Valley Sports, American sports, national sports, and pop culture at Valley Sports Play. We really do it all. So, fellas, what do you say we get into it? Let's do it, man. I'm ready. Uh, all right. So big news over the last couple of weeks. Like I said, it's been a little while since we got here together to talk sports and all that. The Cardinals made some moves um, going into their final game of the season and just at, or I'm sorry, final game of the preseason. And just after um, obviously had to trim that roster down from, I think, like 90 something down to the 53 man roster. And so they kept making some moves, but none really of no other than this major one, which was cutting veteran quarterback Colt McCoy and trading trading for Joshua Dobbs who is a uh, I guess you could call him a veteran quarterback at this point but he's not a veteran starter by any means he has thrown I think less than 100 passes in his NFL career originally drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers so I know a little bit of something about Josh Dobbs at one point in time Ben Roethlisberger had his full faith in Dobbs to be the future of the Steelers franchise and Kind of see how that went down. So, Mike, what are you thinking of the Joshua Dobbs signing? Is this just another uh, indication of how how much we're trying to win this season? That's a crazy narrative, I think, to me, where people are saying to make the trade for Josh Dobbs was full tank mode effect. If you really wanted to go in full tank mode effect, you are you either start Colt McCoy, whose noodle arm had caught up to him finally, or a fifth round pick in Clayton Toon you're really not going to be successful at all. Whereas with Joshua Dobbs, he knows the system from Drew Petzing and his time in Cleveland. He's had some starting, you know, I wouldn't say success, but he has experience under his belt. Like if you're looking last two games with the Titans last year, about 60% completion percentage, uh, a little over 400 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. So is he serviceable? We're going to find out. And we're going to find out quickly because it's crazy the Cardinals make this trade on August 24th and what two weeks later he's starting without ever putting on pads really in a preseason game for this team it's just it's a new era and it's just all so brand new for me I'm still trying to wrap my head around it Chris but I like the move because man that joint practice with the Minnesota Vikings I think really put a lot of things into perspective for this front office and this leadership at the coaching level. And basically they understood that, man, Colt McCoy does not have anything to really bring to an NFL football field anymore. And, you know, I'll tip my cap to what he was able to do when Kyler Murray went out those couple of games, but it's just, it's time to try and get some fresh faces in here and see who might be part of this future. I mean, obviously I don't think Josh Dobbs is going to be a starter unless he just absolutely wows and Kyler Murray isn't able to come back to any kind of form of himself but we already saw from a lot of the 53-man cuts a lot of the Steve Kime era guys are gone now as well so it's all systems moving forward and I will take that at the end of the day yeah I mean I think it it, you're right I mean Colt McCoy was definitely at the end of his career and we've kind of known this uh, not just through training camp but I think even a little bit the end of last season and the injury wasn't 
completely his fault. But I, I do think Joshua Dobbs does give us a better chance than maybe, you know, Jeff Driscoll or David Blau, as much as we love David Blau. I just, it's, it's funny to me that uh, John Gannon is still going to stand up there and say, we're trying to win games. I want killers. We're going to, I want guys that are going to battle every Sunday. And it's like, that's all well and good, but we can see the product you're putting on the field. We can see these players are like the majority of our roster is constructed from guys that would probably be on the end of the bench on most other teams. And so him continuing to trot out this line of uh, we're trying to win all these games, blah, blah, blah. I get that. That is what the head coach is hired to do. I know we always talk about tanking for the number one pick. It's just common in basketball too. But at the end of the day, like that's more like GM level stuff. Um, but it's it's hard for me to sit here and imagine that him and Monty Austin Ford aren't having these conversations about a long-term strategy. I mean, this is their very first season at the helm of the organization. So it just seems like, sure, you can say that all you want. And sure, I think having Josh Dobbs start and then if he doesn't do well, you still have Clayton Toon rather than just throwing Clayton Toon to the wolves right off the bat. But when we look at the bigger picture of it all, there's still that Kyler question, right? When is he going to come back? When is he going to be fully ready to go after this injury and his surgery? And from what we've seen in the flight plan and other clips coming out on social media, it seems like the rehab is going really well for him. And initially when we were thinking week nine, week 10, or maybe not at all this season, I think that timeline could be moved up a little bit. I, I still don't think that nine, week nine, week 10 range is too crazy. But he is on the PUP list, the physically unable to perform or unfit to perform, whatever the acronym is there, um, which might correct me if I'm wrong. That means he can't play for the first four weeks. That's right? correct. Yeah, he'll be out for at least the first four weeks. Right. And that's and that doesn't even guarantee that he comes back for week five. And I don't think we should read too much into that at all. I do think we've had this conversation. And so I don't want to beat a dead horse here. I just think they need to see what they have in Kyler to decide what they're going to do this off season. And so he has to play a significant amount of games this season. I don't think four or five games is a big enough sample size. Like maybe seven to 10 is a better sample size, but I want to see him back as soon as he's ready to go. I don't think they need to baby him. I think they can do that schematically, right? Where they aren't having him do as aggressive plays. They're telling him, Hey, if you're about to, you know, get yourself into a bad situation, just throw it away. Don't try and extend the play. Don't try and do too much. Cause that's kind of, I mean, I don't want to blame him. Cause that's like, I, I, I never want him to not be competitive or second guess himself, but he got injured on a non-contact play where he just planted wrong, cut wrong. And that could happen on any play, right? It doesn't have to be him doing too much, but on that particular play, it was one where he was out of the pocket and he was sprinting, but it's like building him back up to being comfortable with that is going to take some time. Uh, so I know this is kind of long-winded of me getting this point out, but I'll just say it again. I think they need to bring him back sooner rather than later. So I'd like to see him back week five, somewhere between week five and week nine. I don't want to see them wait until halfway through the season to finally roll him back out to a team that's one and six, one and seven, oh and eight, whatever the case may be. Uh, what what's what what would your timeline be for bringing him back? I, I realistically or uh, in a perfect world. You you also have to think about the timeline of when he got hurt last year. Was it week 12? So it, it was towards the end of the season, maybe week 13, that game against the New England Patriots. But this could also go into what's happened with bringing in Josh Dobbs, right? Like, 
I know we talk about the criticisms with Jonathan Gannon about talking about, well, you guys just keep saying that you're going to, you, you're here to win. You're going to win. It's like, well, but you have to see the product around you. They saw it. So that's why they made some of the moves that they did, but maybe they brought in Josh Dobbs because he is really familiar with Drew Petzing's system. Like I said, from his time in Cleveland, and maybe you can scrounge out some of these tough wins to start this season because the plan is to have Kyler Murray come back by week six because now we have to start thinking about the plausibility of having a top pick in 2024 Chris which I know we're going to get into here so I'm with you we need to get Kyler on the field as soon as possible to see if he truly is a part of this future because now with all this Caleb Williams nonsense we're going to have to start thinking about if that possibility of having the number one pick is going to be a transition to a quarterback of the future, or if we have to make some moves, get some more draft capital and figure out something down the road. And at the end of the day, I would just love to have Kyler Murray still be a part of this franchise because I think he can still be a difference maker. It's going to be tough with that injury. I know it is, but he's young enough. He should be able to come back. And he's proven that he did have the right trajectory with this Arizona Cardinals franchise until everything fell off of a cliff last year, pun intended. But Chris, you got to tell us what's going on with Caleb Williams now and his dad saying some craziness about going back to USC. Yeah, man, you guys got to you got to get a load of this. So, Ian, I'm sure this is a topic we could have you touch on a little bit here with us. So there's this just to kind of set the picture. There's this guy, Caleb Williams who is a quarterback for the University of Southern California or USC. Uh, he's probably going to he's like one of the best quarterbacks in college sports right now. Pre preseason projected. The season just started this last weekend. Uh, they think he's going to be like clear cut Heisman winner, which is like the best player in, in college football. And so the talk around town now is with the Cardinals potentially having the first, second, or maybe the first and second pick in the draft, do they consider, to put it in like basketball terms, I'm not trying to dumb it down, I'm sure you get the idea, but for everyone else that might be watching, it's like if you are tanking for a new starting point guard and you already have a really good starting point guard or someone who you thought was going to be a star point guard, but now in the draft you could get a new, a fresh star, basically. And so what this dude, his father came out and said, um, I'll just read this quickly from an article I pulled. I think it was the Bleach Report article. Uh, Caleb Williams' father told Sam Schaub of GQ that his son could return to school if he feels uncomfortable with the team that might select him, the Cardinals. And he said, here's the quote, the funky thing about the NFL draft process is he'd almost be better off not being drafted than being drafted first. The system is completely backwards, he says. The way the system is constructed, you go to the worst possible situation, the worst possible team, the worst organization in the league because of their desire for parity gets the first pick. So it's a gift and a curse. I mean, I've talked to Archie Manning and his career was shot because he went to a horrible organization. I've talked to Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray. Okay. And Kyler Murray struggled because of where he was drafted. Baker Mayfield struggled mightily because of where he was drafted. The organizations matter. He's got two shots at the apple. So if there's not a good situation, the truth is he can come back to school. So basically saying that he doesn't like how the draft system is set up, which I don't know what he wants. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying you should reward the worst team in the league necessarily, but you do want parity in your leagues, right? You can't just have a full-on lottery every year. So 
Ian, I'll just kick this over to you for your, you know, just overall sports perspective. Do you think that, I guess I'll ask you this. Do you think that his father has a valid point in his concerns about his son's career, where if he gets drafted to a garbage team, it'll be a detriment to his career? Or do you think it's more like a challenge to, this is a professional sports team. Do you give them a shot and try and turn the organization around, basically being a guaranteed starter from day one? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, as you know, out of my element here, but thinking about how it would work in basketball, because I think that would be a little more more relevant or an easier comparison to football than, say, baseball or anything else. Um, these are things you have to kind of weigh. And if I'm not mistaken, the front office is supposed to be interviewing their draft prospects and seeing how they feel about where they're supposed to go. I think it's a very bad look on Caleb Williams's father part to make this kind of thing public. That to me alone looks like a red flag. If I'm the Cardinals with Kyler having Kyler Murray, even though he does have his problems, at least he does want to be there. So if I was the Cardinals, I wouldn't take this guy. Like I said, very out of my element. I also know that they're, isn't there something with Heisman winners? Don't they? Isn't there like a curse or some nonsense there? Mate, honestly, maybe. Like, who are the all the most recent Heisman winners that have been like Johnny Manziel won the Heisman? He's no longer in the league. Baker Mayfield, I'm pretty sure, won a Heisman, and he's looking like a backup at best. Kyler Murray, the guy who he would be replacing, won a Heisman. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not. There's no guarantee because the college game and the NFL game, although it is technically the same sport of football with various little rule tweaks, it's enough to where the it's a completely different game is what I'm trying to say. So it's, yeah, it's not always sure. a guarantee that it, your ability to play college sports well is going to translate to the NFL. And I think that goes for, for basketball too. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess with that in mind, I think it would be weird for the Cardinals to take – Caleb Williams, given what his father said about the team, you would want to fill a hole somewhere else, maybe just get past him, let him get picked two overall, or go to an organization that won't, as he said, waste his career. Um, because if he's just going to go back to school, I mean, that's the end of that pick, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if I'm the Cardinals and fuck that, I'm staying away from that. <laughs> Yeah, and I think like we're in the still in that era of sports, like the the fuck, what's his name? The Lonzo Ball's dad, um, Lavar Ball. Yeah. And like John Morant's dad. So it's like I don't love parents being overly involved in their adult children's, you know, careers and things like that. Cause I, he, you know, he's 18, 19, but that's still an adult. And when you're talking about, you know, being a grown man making decisions. I've always felt, and even when Lonzo was doing, I know it's hard. Like I, I love my dad and I respect my dad. And I, I, I don't doubt that these fathers have their son's best interest in mind to a certain extent, but it also seems a little self-serving as well to where, you know, it's like, it's like that fine line. Is that fair, Mike? Is it kind of like, could it come off as selfish on his dad's part? Or do you think it's all coming from a place of, I just want my son to have the best future? Yeah, it's really hard to find the middle ground there. I think at the end of the day, he has the best intentions, right? But this is such unprecedented time that we're coming into now with these draft picks that are coming specifically out of college. 
because of these NIL deals now, right? Because the, the whole thing in the back, you know, back in the day was why would you risk the opportunity to go make money right now and basically start that timer for when your second contract can hit in where you make the big money? Well, guys like Caleb Williams, who are already Heisman Trophy winners, can get $20 million, $30 million in NIL deals like that within, you know, two to three days. So it really is an option that he has if he doesn't see the landscape falling the way that he wants to. At the end of the day, I mean, Caleb Williams, you risk injury, right? Which is the biggest thing. That's why you don't want to stay. But if it's just about money and it's about, you know, the best fit for a franchise, then I guess stay. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're going to get drafted by a crappy team, even if it's the Cardinals. The, the shitty thing, though, for us is that we've just had a lot of things that have been magnified within, you know, just the culture and football landscape that a lot of people know about. Now we have, you know, the Steve Steve Wilkes coming out, basically backing the burner phone stuff. And it's just more things that we're trying to get over the hump of that keep pulling us back. And it's going to take some time for the Arizona Cardinals to get back in good graces with a lot of people. You know, it's going to take years, guys, which is a tough thing to really say and be honest about. But at the end of the day, this scares me, man, because his dad's talking about his conversations with Archie Manning, who was the last guy that basically held out after being a top pick. Eli Manning. Yeah. He's talking about, you know, the conversations that he had with Lincoln Riley. What is the main quarterback that is on a franchise in the NFL that he was talking about as well? Kyler Murray with the Cardinals. It's just he didn't specifically say Cardinals. But all points are basically saying, if it's the Cardinals, I don't want anywhere. I don't want to be anywhere near there. So maybe that's another reason why Jonathan Gannon is really actually trying to win with the pieces that he has around. But it's going to yeah. be tough, man. I think the only last thing I'll say about it is, is I would say that Caleb Williams' dad's comments are a little bit inaccurate and false when you talk about the struggles that Kyler Murray had, Kyler Murray had struggles last year, right? And a, a little bit before last year when he was trying to get his contract situation done. But you're talking about a guy who won the rookie of the year, who got this team to 10 wins, who took this team to the playoffs. His first three years, everything was up. Yeah, you have your trials and tribulations like general, but I would say everything was on the proper trajectory, even with the crappy front office and the inept head coaching that we had. So I think that's a false statement. But good luck to this kid, man. I, I got to echo what Ian said, too. I, I If this is his feelings about it and it's really Caleb Williams' feelings, I don't want him around my franchise. And that's just it. I don't care how transcendent of a player he is at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. You want guys that are on board and bought in. And that's, I mean, Kyler was, and you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's completely unfair, that criticism, because not only the rookie of the year, but the Cardinals bent over backwards to put him in uh, the best situation possible. Hiring, as far as going and hiring a guy who wasn't even qualified to be the head coach, but that they thought might be a good fit. And as far as I can remember, Kyler really liked Cliff Kingsbury and they had a really good relationship. So that was all in an attempt to make Kyler happy. And then on top of that, 
making him the highest, like one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league coming up here. So it's like, I get, I guess I can't sit here and criticize his dad or question his motives. Cause if it was just about money, he's still going to get paid no matter what garbage team he's playing on, as long as he can stay healthy. So it can't be about that. It, it seems like it might genuinely be about winning these guys, obviously competing at the highest level, have a high desire to win. It's just, there's so much to go, go into that, that comment. And I, I don't want to sit here and, and spend too much more time on it. But the last thing I'll say is, is I, I hate the criticism without offering any solution. You can say, oh yeah, it's a, such a bad system. All these horrible teams are getting the best draft picks every year. It's like, yes, because the league wants them to get better, create more parity, like you even said in that comment. And I just wonder what his alternate you know, solution would be just get rid of the draft completely. Just these guys can sign wherever they want. And as long as it goes within the salary, like that's all well and good, or just have it be a completely randomized lottery draft. Cause you're still not going to be happy. Right. Cause if that randomized, whatever, doesn't matter where you finished draft lottery comes down there's no guarantee it'll be a good organization. And what organizations are even like the best top tier that don't already have their franchise quarterback. You're not going to Kansas city. Sorry. Patrick Mahomes is going to be there for a good long while. Um, you're not going to Buffalo. Josh Allen is a fucking beast. You're not going to Baltimore. Lamar Jackson has solidified himself there. Like where do you, Caleb Williams, dad, where do you want him to go? That isn't a team that already has a franchise quarterback. It doesn't make any fucking sense, but that the, those comments, I mean, I guess they just don't really surprise me. Cause like you kind of said there, every organization, although they have the same rules and, you know, governing body, they all operate a little bit differently. And there have been a lot of criticisms about the Cardinals organization. And I don't know that anything's changed. I mean, the owner is still the same. Yeah, we got a new GM, but when it comes down to paying for Gatorades, paying for meals, how the families are treated, that's stuff that isn't necessarily going to be on the GM. And I don't think it is on the GM at all. They're, they're just making football decisions, not organizational structural positions. But it's just going to be real interesting. I do think the, the last thing I want to say on the on the Cardinals topic is just the interesting thing about Jonathan Gannon not being willing to name a starter yet for a quarterback um, coming up on Sunday. I think everyone knows or feels like it's going to be Josh Dobbs. It seems like the clear cut answer. But do you, Mike, do you think that that's smart to try and play the, oh, I don't want him to know our next move? Is it really going to be beneficial to not name a starter until the morning of? Well, at this point, it's been leaked, so it's like you just might as well go ahead and you know jump in the pool completely. Uh, Chris, this this is the thing with Jonathan Gannon. He, this is all new to him, right? He's figuring it out as he goes, and at least he does have you know his people around him, right? With Nick Rallis, Drew Petzing, Monty Austin Fort, it's a core group of guys who are in this together. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're consistently bouncing ideas off of each other and say, Hey, you know, we just pulled the trigger for this trade, cut our guy who we figured was going to be the starter for week one. And what we're going to, we're going to make people think that we're going with the fifth round unproven rookie. No, you're going to go with the guy who has NFL experience. I don't care if he just came into the building because you have no other options, right? So you can think of it as competitive advantage, anything to get this team some kind of an edge is what we're going to have to do this year to get games. So I, I get it and get wins because it's going to be massively hard with the schedule that we have and the players that we do have. 
And now I'm looking back at our um, at our season predictions. Chris, I might have to take back the win against Washington because Chase Young is healthy. He's going to be coming off the edge like a freaking hamster on, on a wheel, just going and going. Terry McLaurin looks like he's going to be ready to go as well. So <laughs> it's going to be a dogfight because also yeah. Washington sold out season tickets for the first time in what, a decade? So really? it's going to be loud and crazy in the nation's capital on Sunday. So, man, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to have a Tallman ticket coming out. Uh, so we for those better. that like wagering, Tallman is currently in Cancun, I think, in uh, southern Mexico there, just l- lounging on the beach, being a lazy fucker. But we love him. We love him. I'm like, I think you're right, man. I, th- I think in my prediction, I had this as an L anyway, but the commanders just beat the Ravens and broke their, uh, their uh, preseason streak, 20 something games. I think it was 24 games. That's wild. Preseason matters to the Ravens. Uh, Ian, we won't bore you any longer with all this football conversation. I want to translate, trans. Transition. Transition. That's the word I'm looking for. Translate. Translate Tran- into transfer. We're going to talk about baseball. We love it. We're about a month away. I think a little less, maybe a little more than a month away from the end of the baseball season. So September call-ups just happened last week where the roster expands. Do you know Do you know how much the active roster – is it only – so I'm a little new on the rules here. So if you know, please let – let me know. Is it that you still have your 40 man roster and you can have more on the active MLB roster or does it expand past the 40 man roster? Um, I believe it expands past 40 man because the only reason I say that is just judging based off my recency bias where I saw the Yankees cut maybe two players and called up about six. So I think you you have a bit of an extension on on who you can call up for the rest of the season, and then it goes back down when it comes to be playoff roster time. But in order, the reason that they do the call ups is for the playoff roster, so that if you have rookies that you need, they can be eligible to be in the playoffs once that time comes. I believe the cutoff for that is September first. Nice. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I did. There were a ton of moves being made last season. I do want to get into, uh, you know, of all the teams, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Los Angeles Angels and kind of what their last week and a half looked like. They got the news that Shohei's done pitching for the season, might need Tommy John surgery, and uh, yeah. they dumped like half their roster or something like that. Um, but first, I, I don't want to bury the lead here. I want to talk about the the Cardinals. I'm sorry, the Diamondbacks. <laughs> I want to talk about the Diamondbacks. They're 72 and 68, still very much in the wild card hunt. And starting tomorrow, have a really big series against the Chicago Cubs, who currently hold that second wild card spot. And then uh, I'm just seeing here that the Marlins have won six straight, and they're putting themselves back in the conversation. Um, and we're sitting down here uh, neck and neck with the Cincinnati Reds, who have the tiebreaker over us, but we're, we're each a half game back in the standings. There you go. You can see it there. Uh yeah, kind of kind of a sketchy race in the NL West here. It looks like it's down to one, two, three, four, five, six teams for three spots. There's three wild card spots that get get reserved, right? Yep. So it makes me nervous, man. I'm I'm not gonna lie. This team has been kind of up and down on a roller coaster. I just had a real rough series against the Dodgers where we got swept. 
looking a little better against Colorado, but still gave up one game there. Uh, you, you can't be you can't be losing games like that to Colorado when you can see there they're the worst team in the National League right now, absolute bottom of the barrel. And I get it, a sweep might be a lot to ask for, but when you're trying to be a playoff team going up against the worst team in the league, this time in the season you gotta you gotta sweep them. You got you gotta get the job done, and especially when you're cruising and hunting for a wild card like this. I mean, I, I can't, I don't think I can understate it, but Mike, how big is this series coming up against the Cubs? Honestly, I think it's everything. This is going to be make or to break it time. Uh, Really disappointed in that second game against the Colorado Rockies. The bats went dormant once again, and Torrey Lovello just seems to be over managing, man. Nick Ahmed is not it, man. He is not it. Look at his stats since August, man. He's 9 for 53 with 15 strikeouts. I can't have more strikeouts than hits. I know it's tough, but, you know, they put him in to go up against the lefty. But he hasn't been hitting lefties very well this year. I'd rather just go with Perdomo at that point. But, you know, we've still had our struggles at third base. We can't get anything out of Rivera. I mean, Evan Longoria has just been a shell of himself. He's an older guy. It's what you expected. But... Thankfully, we were able to crawl out of the depths again today because we were down early 5-1, to one, and then Alec Thomas just went crazy. But this is the time of year where if you start looking at the matchups that are coming up here, man, the Diamondbacks honestly have some really good breaks that have fallen their way, it seems like. You know, we know the Mets have just sold off, and they're not really competing anymore anyways. San Francisco has lost six straight, so we don't know where they're going to be by the time we do match up with them on September 19th. But then you got the Yankees who have been struggling this year, the White Sox as well. And to finish the year, we're going up against the Houston Astros, who really, if you think about it, either than the Cubs are the only ones who are truly in kind of a playoff hunt right now. So this is the time to take advantage of the schedule and – it's all going to come down to pitching once again. We got to have our two aces really put it together. And we got to win this series against Chicago. I know it's going to be tough because it's a four-game stretch and it's in Chicago. But if we really want to keep within this fight, dude, we have to win this series. This is what it comes down to in the last two and a half weeks of baseball, right? If you want to make the playoffs, and especially when you're just a game or a few games behind fighting for a final spot, you have to win out at this point. Yeah, w- without a doubt. They need to win every series from here on out. Especially, I didn't realize that it's Cubs, what is it, Cubs, Mets, and then Cubs again. So we're going to have, I think, five, six games against the Cubs there, it looks like, to really start hopefully beating them up. And we have to win. We have to win both of those series. Technically, we I think we have to win both of those series for my money. But you need to win. If you clump them both together, you just need to win that collective series and win more games than the Cubs. That's my bare minimum goal and expectation for them. And I think they can do it. Uh, Mike, like you said there, uh, we've known the writing's been on the wall for Ahmed. We had Jordan Lawler in the system where it was only a matter of time before he got to come up. And I think we did pose the question, I think, uh, a couple weeks ago on our uh, Heat Check podcast. Where do they call up Lawler? Why didn't they do it right during the September call-ups? But better late than never. He will be joining the team tomorrow. Our number one prospect in the organization, Jordan Lawler, has been called up to the major leagues. And the Diamondbacks have designated 
Nick Ahmed for assignment, which means he will no longer be with the organization after nearly a decade. I think we traded for him in late 2012 and uh, got called up for the first time in 2014 and has been on the the 40 man MLB roster ever since. So I got, I got a lot of love for Nick Ahmed. He was a former golden glove winner, just an absolute stud on the defensive side of things. But when you need people who can hit the ball, he just wasn't getting it done anymore at 33 years old. And I, I think he'll probably land on a roster somewhere, uh, you know, kind of like David Peralta, where maybe not an everyday guy for us, but we'll still find some playing time somewhere else. I'm sure there's always a team that'll need a, a veteran shortstop out there, a little bit of depth. But with Perdomo and now Lawler, I think we're pretty set at the shortstop position. And I think that played a big role in us offloading Jazz Chisholm a couple years ago is just knowing kind of what we had and where we're going, where you don't need this log jam at shortstop of talent where you can move off and get a guy like Zach Gallen, who is at least in the, in the Cy Young conversation, but I don't want to get too much off topic here. Um, so we got Lawler coming up. We got Nick Ahmed going out. Uh, Ian, I, I, before I wanted to go back to this cause I did just see that there when Mike had the schedule pulled up, this is totally off topic. Uh, but if you were still living in New York, would you go to a Mets game an afternoon Mets game for $2. Yeah, probably. Hell yeah. Two bucks. It, yeah. It, it's from where I lived in New York, it was kind of a pain in the ass to get to the Mets stadium, but $2. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to justify $2. I'd be spending more money getting down there because it'd be a $30 train ride. And then <laughs> it's like $4 to get on the subway. So like, exponentially more expensive just getting to the stadium than than getting a ticket but i mean shit i mean if i had time to kill yeah absolutely <laughs> that's usually my experience when I, mean, I can snag cheap tickets like that is like between gas and beer and whatever concessions i get it's not a it's not a two dollar ticket it's not a five dollar it's a 50 to a hundred dollar trip but it's about the experience man have you have you ever been down to queens and what is that city field mm-hmm. yeah i've been there it's it's okay. It, it's a weird stadium. I remember, I don't know if they still have it, but I remember being weirded out that they had a Verizon store in the stadium, like in the middle of the center field. <laughs> so you could just get your contract updated while you're at the fucking Mets game. I don't know why you would ever do that, but it was there. Um, the other big feature was Shake Shack. They, uh, they had a Shake Shack in the stadium and that was, that was on point. I used to go there to see, Anytime Roy Halladay was pitching for the Phillies and he was in town, I would try and catch that because that was my dude. Um, but yeah, it's it's not the worst stadium I've ever been to. It's 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 decent. I mean, they got enough money that shit. I think they have the one of the top five payrolls in the league, so stadium should be at least halfway decent. Uh, but Mike, getting back on on the topic of the Diamondbacks here a little bit, are you excited about the Lawler call up? Dude, I'm stoked, man. Like we were saying before, I, I wish it would have happened right when the September call-ups came around, but I, you just never know, man, with the, with these teams. And I, the kid has been killing it in Reno, dude. Only 16 games, hitting 358, five homers, 19 RBIs, and he's a speedster on the base paths. If you look at his combined uh, minor league baseball stats this year, 36 combined stolen bases. I mean, he's got some power. And I think an interesting tidbit about what has happened with this call-up as well, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him at third base, guys, with the struggles that this team has had. 
because I think last night he was starting at third. I uh, had two RBIs and, and you know, he's an interchangeable kind of guy. So if you can continue to play Perdomo at short and Lawler fits at third base and you can add some more pop to the bat, yes, man, this is what we need. We need to make sure that we're keeping pressure on the base pass, scoring runs, because this this pitching staff is still so freaking highs and lows, riding the roller coaster. There's no consistency. You can talk about the series against the Dodgers. Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen probably had two of their worst outings of the year when we needed them to perform. I know it's tough, especially the Dodgers who have what? They were 24 and 6 in August, like just ridiculous yeah. on a roll. But this is the time where if we want to make the playoffs, we have to win. We have to win now. So if you can consistently keep the bats going, you'll be able to scratch out some wins exactly like today. I mean, Zach Davies sucked today again, and we were able to rally and just dominate, you know, down the stretch in today's game. So, yes, bring on the young gun. Let's go. Let's go. And I think that's where we found a lot of our success in the earlier parts of the season, too, is where when pitching was struggling, our bats were able to come in and make it up, where even if we gave up five, six, seven runs, our team on offense was putting up eight, nine, ten runs, or like we saw today, I think 12 or 15, something like that. Uh, not bad. Uh, and you're right. At third base, I wouldn't hate seeing him there. Uh, obviously, the Jace Peterson experiment hasn't been the greatest. Uh, we did need a guy to kind of fill in that hole that Josh Rojas left, but between him and Emmanuel Rivera, just not quite a hundred percent getting the job done there at third. So however you choose to rotate those guys in and for all my criticisms of Mike Hazen, I'm really proud of the way he's kind of handled the last couple months between riding that line of at the trade deadline. Do you, do you give up the farm to go all in win now? Or do you find a happy medium somewhere where you can still try and make a push for the playoffs and being competitive this year while also keeping your franchise in a competitive position for, you know, the next two, three, four years, ideally. And I, I think we're right there. I mean, I I've said it, uh, you know, a couple times over the past couple months, I don't expect a world series. I don't even expect a deep playoff run from this diamondbacks team, but what I do expect and what I am hoping for is a playoff appearance. I love, I love it if they get that wild card spot and not just get it, but win the wild card spot and advance to the divisional series, that would be outstanding. That would be a great first step into showing that, this team is a competitor and and that in turn will help any potential free agents we might be able to attract in the offseason because I feel like a lot of these baseball players will just kind of chase the money and it's not always 100% about winning or that final you know world series hopes and desires I, I not saying it's the case with Freddie Freeman but he had a chance to stay with the Braves they didn't give him as much money as the Dodgers were offering so he decided to go sign with them but does that hurt his competitive you know, advantage and ability to win games? Absolutely not. The Dodgers are one of the best teams in the NL, if not the best team in the NL. And the Braves were also. So it was kind of a win-win for Freddie, right? And that might not be the case for, for other players. I, I haven't really been able to deep dive and look at players who have, you know, free agency coming up this offseason, but there's always a handful. And I'm sure there will be guys that we can try and lure here and I, I mean, Ian, am I, is it, is it similar? Like, cause in basketball, I know that's, that's been the case for the, the Suns, right? It's like, Oh, you got Booker, you got Katie is the place where people want to be. It has in, in what you've seen and your experience around baseball, is that kind of a similar sentiment that's floated out there where guys want to play with certain players like Aaron judge, like Corbin Carroll? 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's as prevalent in, in baseball as, as it is in basketball, where there's that camaraderie of like, oh, I went to college with this guy, or like, oh, we were at the Team USA camp and we really hit it off, and there's all that that goes on. Uh, but it is it, it is still there, and, and I, I think it's more so seeing... I, I, I think I think that the the approach to free agency is more focused on the game. So you do see situations where you're like, oh, this team is really good, but all they're missing is pitching and I'm a pitcher. So I'm going to go here like that. That that seems to occur a lot more than whether or not I or whether or not a player does want to play with somebody, if that makes sense. I, I think that makes sense. Uh, and I, I, and that's kind of what I've seen, like where players are going to kind of go where they're going to get the most, you know, money, the best contract, and maybe even like a city that they might want to live in or could see their family living in. I don't think it's always the other players, but at the end of the day, like Mike, it doesn't hurt, right? Like the better your team's doing, the more attractive of a destination it might seem. Oh yeah. And for baseball, man, you know, the contracts are so crazy. So if they can bring the dough, it's time to go. But <laughs> like, I think that's a good comparison too with the NBA. You have to just think about baseball. There's a lot of different moving pieces that have to fit together to be a successful team. Whereas in basketball, if you got two superstars and you, you can fit another one alongside, you can get far, you know, just with those guys. Cause there's only five on the court. The basketball can only go around. So, so many places. So baseball, you got to have a good bullpen. You got to have, two to three solid starters. You got to have some bats that have power. You got to have speed, good feeling. There's just so much more that goes into it for teams to continue to be successful. So I am a hundred percent alongside with what Ian said, but it never hurts. It never hurts. Like you said, I don't think so. Uh, and I know, I know we're kind of bouncing all over the place, but that's kind of the spirit of the round table, right? Is we're just here to, to talk with the boys about some sports I just I'm just thinking about this and I had it noted down here about this Jordan Lawler call up and what it could potentially mean for this team as we make our push here. And I think it's only good things. If you look at what Corbin Carroll did in his short stint when he was called up last season, he played in 32 games at the end of the season. He was hitting 260, had 27 hits and four home runs. Um and just really got the excitement and the juices flowing for this season now. And we've seen that Corbin Carroll has fully come in to be everything that we expected from him. And it's funny when he, when he has an O for four game, we, I, I personally get a little upset because I know he's better than that, but you can't expect him to have, you know, two, two for five and a home run every single game. I know that's just not realistic, uh, but Jordan Lawler has 22 games here with the Diamondbacks. That's all that we have left guys. There's 22 games left in the season. I, I, what would your expectations be for him coming up at this point? Do you think you think he, we could see similar numbers like what we did with Cor Corbin batting around 250 with a couple dingers and a handful of hits in there? I mean, I would say I would hope so. That's where we – if he's going to be an everyday player for the 22 games, yeah, I'd love to see something similar. Uh, show the power within his bat, get a couple of home runs. I mean, he doesn't have to go three for four every day. It's just not going to happen anyways. But I just want to see small contributions to start solidifying the future and, and show that he's a guy, no matter where you put him, he's going to be a future 
piece of this team. And I think we're pretty solidified that he will be, right? You talk about his solid double A season within, I think, 88 games. I think he hit, hit right around 268. And then just in the short amount of time, he goes up, gets called up, stronger competition. It's hitting over 360. I mean, you don't have to come in and do that right away. It wouldn't be a surprise because, you know, it always takes time for guys to, you know, really gauge a player and, and get tape on him to scout him properly. So he could come out scorching. That'd be great. But my expectation isn't for him to just come in and put the Diamondbacks over the top to win every single series, right? No, it's do your part start fitting within this organization, find your footing, learn from those guys around you, especially a guy like Corbin Carroll, who cross your fingers. I think he's going to be okay after taking one on the wrist today. He got hit twice today, back-to-back plate appearances. Man. But, you know, that's all you want, right? Fight to the end. That's all I want. Yeah, I think that, and this does, I think, like I've said, to double down on it, it does give us a good fighting chance and uh, opportunity to be competitive. Uh, along this vein, though, Ian, do you think that Diamondbacks fans should be, you know, wary or temper their expectations on a guy, although he is the top prospect in the organization and one of the top prospects in all of the MLB? He, like Mike said, he started his season in double A. I think spent about a month in triple A and is now already being called up to the MLB to finish his season. Is there any reason to be concerned about, you know, the transition or the competition levels between, uh, you know, double A, triple A, and now into the MLB? No, um, I think that the, the the concern is is more the other side of it, where I I, I think it's pretty common with late season call ups that the other teams usually don't know how to scout these guys because they haven't seen them in double A, they haven't seen them in triple A, so sometimes these numbers can get inflated. Or it could go the opposite direction where Lawler could, you know, he, he's not used to, you know, big league pitching, things like that. So it's, I, I think there shouldn't be an expectation on him. I do agree that, that with what Mike said, where it should be a, a matter of just getting gelled with the team, figuring out where you fit in the system. That is a better way to go. I do think it's going to lean more in the opposite direction where I do think he's going to come out hot because of the way he's been playing in the minor leagues, but um, it shouldn't be seen as a sign of things to come, uh, come next season when he's starting the season with the team. Um, It's, it's, the same thing with Carroll where Carroll came up and he was hot, but every, nobody was really holding their breath until the season started. And they saw that he was continuing to be hot. Um, I think, I, I think that that's kind of how Lawler should be assessed as a player. Now that he's, he's in the, the big leagues. And I think that's fair. Like just to somewhat temper expectations and even whether he does good or does bad, that is not necessarily an indication of, of what his long-term success is going to be. It's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. Basically, basically, like he doesn't know how to hit big league pitching on the other side of that big league pitching doesn't know how to pitch to him. So it could go either way. So it's basically no matter what happens to him now. We we really, you know, we shouldn't be like, oh, hell yeah, I love Jordan Lawler or, oh, my God, I fucking hate Jordan Lawler. Send him back down. It shouldn't be (laughs) either of those. It's really just like it's like spring training before spring training for him with playoff and implications like yeah he'll do his thing he'll be productive 
but exactly how you said it. It's not indicative of how he's going to be long-term. And, and we've seen that before. Like we've seen the guy, it's gone both ways, right? Where a guy mm-hmm. comes in in a situation like this, has 30 games or so from September to the end of the season, and he'll either do amazing and be knocking it out of the park, getting hits left and right. And then the next season, maybe take a bit of a drop off or the other, you know, the other side where maybe they're not super comfortable when they first come in and then they finally find a flow later on. I mean, one guy in particular, I remember uh, it's probably fucking three, four years at this point, but uh, Adalberto Mondesi, I think he mm-hmm. played for the Royals. He got called up in, around this time for the Royals and was just absolutely crushing it, knocking homers, hitting over 300. I'm pretty sure. I think he was even getting stolen bases Helped a lot of people win their fantasy baseball uh, championships that year. Uh, Mike, I guess, is that, well, I guess I can't ask you because you're not in the fantasy baseball playoffs. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, neither is Ian, so you yeah, can't I just am, put it on I me. am dead last, man. <laughs> um, another guy is Gary Sanchez. I mean, he got called up and yep. he was, for a month, he was getting comparisons to Babe Ruth. He was hitting a home run. What, he hit 18 in a month or something like that? Just some stupid number. And then... The rest of his career, he was 130. So you just, it, it, it's hard to say. And it, it, it does go the other direction, too, where like Corbin Carroll's a success story of, of a late season call up. He basically just stayed exactly where he was uh, when he was called up. He didn't, he didn't drop. That's, that's what, that's the goal with Jordan Lawler, I think. That's what you're looking for. Um, but you, you never want to set high expectations on a rookie when they're coming in. No, that's great. And that's all we can hope for, right? Maybe he gets some good momentum going into the offseason, whether we make a wild card or a playoff push or whatever. Get some kind of similar momentum that you got from Corbin Carroll. Mm-hmm. And, hey, like the the beautiful thing about it, too, is, you know, you set yourself up for the discussions for next year in regard to, hey, if this is our shortstop of the future, what do we do with Perdomo? Do we see if we can transition him to third base? Is there anywhere else that he can play? I mean, the guy was an all-star this year, right? He's had some struggles from the plate over the past couple of weeks, more so, but that happens in the majors, man. Guys go through slumps. We know that. As long as you are able to turn the tide, and it seems like he has done that, you know, more so towards the second half of this season like this team has done, right? Because we went through the the freaking dreads of July where we just absolutely struggled and this whole team did, but then we got some momentum and turned the ship and are where we are now looking to fight for our lives to possibly make the playoffs. So these are good problems to have. These This is just great times to be a Valley sports fan, guys, especially a baseball fan, man. This is something that this town has been yearning for Almost like it was for the Suns going back to 2020 for a decade, man. Or I guess going back to 2017, the last time that we actually played in the wild card game. So good problems to have. Yeah, I was talking to Matt about it uh, about an hour ago um, about the Lawler call up and Ahmed getting cut. And Perdomo was an interesting problem. I think hindsight is 2020. Uh, I think that Perdomo could have been a guy that could have been moved for pitching really, really good pitching because he's been an all-star this year, but you could have also have traded Ahmed around the deadline and gotten a reliever or something like that. It, uh, cutting, cutting Ahmed for, for nothing, I think is kind of a silly move. 
at this point. I mean, that's what you had to do now. But, you know, then now you have the question because you kind of have two shortstops. They're like tried and true shortstops. And, and third base is kind of a revolving door. So now the Diamondbacks are, you know, getting down to the end of the season. They're six games coming up against, you know, the team that they have to catch up against. And they now have to figure out, you know, is Lawler going to work at third or is Perdomo going to work at third? And it's that's not a situation you really want to be in when you're chasing a wild card spot. But right, not right now. Yeah. Those are the problems you want to worry about in the off season because then you it, can have plenty of time to figure it out. Yeah, that's those are spring training problems. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's a really good point. And uh, you know, a couple things I just thought of on it. One, it'd be great if Matt would ever hop on here and talk to us about it instead of just <laughs> talking to you about it. Shots fired. To call out, out, call out Matt. Um, but also second, I wonder that, you know, it's a great point about should they have tried to trade Nick Ahmed? And I wonder if they looked into that kind of to see what the appetite is for a Nick Ahmed, what they might be able to get in return. It, it does for me a little bit makes maybe not the timing of it, but it does make sense that if anyone was going to get cut, it, it was Ahmed. I don't think anyone expected him to be on this roster next season. He was in the last year of his contract here in 2023, and he's making about 10, a little over $10 million, guys. So pretty, pretty highly paid shortstop. So I, I don't know what that looks like, you know, financially or contractually. If you trade a guy like that, I mean, is it prorated? Do you just have to pay whatever left he's owed for this season? Or how much would other teams be on the hook for that? I should say that it's entirely possible that Nick Ahmed was shopped at the trade deadline. I just didn't see that rumor. And did 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 either of you see, you know, blank team interested in Nick Ahmed, Cincinnati Reds interested? Like any any I just named a random team there. They definitely wouldn't be. That was a bad example, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and I'm muted, so I'm I'm sitting here agreeing with you. But no, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't see it anywhere. Yeah. But at the same time, I didn't see rumors of them shopping Josh Rojas either. And then yeah. he ended up being a part of that trade. Now I know there's not. That's not you know exactly the same when you're talking about a former Gold Glove winner has been the cornerstone of your infield aside from Paul Goldschmidt for the last decade. But I I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I I didn't hear that rumor. No, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they they had him included in some conversations. So I just feel like maybe the, the appetite just wasn't really there for him. And and either that or the return wasn't enough where a team might've been like, yeah, we'll take Ahmed, but we'll give you some single a player. That's never going to be anything. Yeah. And that's, I think that's two sides of the same coin too, or like maybe the return you were getting for Ahmed was like some bum ass fucking reliever that the diamondbacks didn't want to begin with. And that's because that other team was thinking that like Nick Ahmed is, you know, a washed up, shortstop that they don't want on their team either so there may have not been a trade in in place because <laughs> neither team thought that the return was going to be worth it yeah and then also when you factor in what do you do at the shortstop position if, if you don't have another shortstop waiting in the wings are you just going to tough it out with Perdomo for all of August until you get to September and you can call up Lawler and then kind of puts a lot of pressure all around to, to kind of try and piece it together where they might have felt like at least through August, Ahmed gave them the best competitive edge to be able to to have this wiggle room to do this call up now. So could have been part of the plan all along. Um, but we even saw just a few weeks back, or maybe almost a month ago at this point, uh, Carson Kelly uh, get DFA'd. At one point in time, 
everyone thought he was going to be the future star catcher for this team. And now looks like that's going to be Gabby Moreno. I you, I think every team needs at least two solid catchers that you can roll with, but it was clear once Carson came back from the injury, like he just wasn't that dude. So I will just say it again. I I'm happy with the moves that they're making and that they're showing the willingness to still be competitive, even here into September. And along that last thing I want to talk on uh, baseball before we move on here, they, the angels, like I mentioned had waived like half of their team. It was, um, Lucas Giolito, who they just got at the trade deadline, Hunter Renfro and uh, Randall Gardeck and a couple other people. I think I got that last name wrong, but a bunch of a bunch of dudes. Matt Moore hit hit the waiver wire, and I think a lot of fans were scrambling to try and learn and research what that meant and what the waiver order would look like. But essentially, what I was able to gather, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, is that basically it's priority based off current standings this season. So the worst teams in each um, conference, they're not conferences, division, leagues, in each league gets like the first opportunity. So like in the example of the Angels, within that also, it's all of the all of the teams in the AL get first pick. And then if none of them want it, then it goes to the worst team in the NL and then they can have their pick at it. So the Diamondbacks, if that is the case, the Diamondbacks were a real long shot to get any of these guys. But I heard that there were some waiver claims placed. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them was for Lucas Giolito Probably Matt Moore is also a relief pitcher. I bet those two guys honestly wouldn't even be surprised if they put a claim for Hunter Renfro. I mean, why not at least try, you know, ask the question. It never hurts to ask. I, I, I knew it was a long shot, but again, to tie it, you know, bring it full circle and to make my point here is it shows that they are trying to be competitive. And even here in September, they're trying to make moves to improve this team to the best of their abilities with what they can do. Obviously the trade deadlines passed. So you really, kind of more or less constricted to who you already have in your system. So bringing Lawler up is a good sign. I know there was a point, Mike, where we were saying that they should leave Brandon Fott and AAA for the rest of this season. And now he's looking like maybe our the third best pitcher in our rotation. Uh, at this point, I mean, you can't put Zach Davies on any list. I don't even, he's a one of our five starters, but I don't even put him as one of the top five best pitchers for our team. And Tommy Henry, man, who knows? Is this guy, is he done for the year? I guess I haven't been seeing enough or being tapped in enough to see if he's ever going to come back. But, you know, Brandon Fott's another guy who's just been streaky. He, he struggled against uh, Colorado in that second game through three and two-thirds innings, I think, gave up the three runs, which we ended up losing that game three to two. But he's been a lot better, you know, since the All-Star break and. You know, it just sucks when you don't get run support, you know, then all you see on on the card is an, another L. And poor kid finally got his first win in the majors after, you know, three or four solid starts. So I'm with you. I would not be surprised if Lucas Giolito was the one guy that they put a waiver claim in and we just couldn't get it because of where the standings fell. But he struggled with Los Angeles after he was traded from the White Sox, too. So I don't know how much of a better situation it would have really been. I mean, what's your psyche go through, right? After you're traded at the deadline, you struggle, you're put on waivers, and then you find yourself having to go out and pitch for a team that's fighting for the playoffs. I mean, like, is he mentally tough and ready to do that? But I thought that was crazy, too, because weren't there guys playing in the game like the day that they were waived? 
I wouldn't doubt it. That sounds about right to me. Like, like they were waived like an hour before the game started, and they still played. Like, how I, I didn't think that was ever allowed. But it was crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if it's like a. I know retroactive isn't the right word, but it's like they announced the waiver, but it's like you're not technically waived till 9 p.m. Pacific time, so you're still on the roster. It's like yeah, that's probably it. It's like this today's your last day with the company, but we're gonna let you finish your shift and we'll pay you for it. <laughs> they were trying to get them some last minute tape so they would for sure be claimed, so the angels wouldn't have to pay the rest of the salary. I think they were gonna end up saving like seven million dollars or something from all of the, the waves that they made. But just <laughs> it was just funny to see them playing after you know you get the notifications. Uh, these guys are out of town. He's like, wait, I thought they were out of town, but they're but they're playing. How is this? How is this <laughs> happening? Yeah, that's always so funny with baseball because you know they play. I think they only get, usually get one day off a week uh, throughout the season, and it, it's funny when I was. Uh, I think it was August first was the trade deadline, and uh, they were showing like uh, this one stream I was watching was showing a bunch of like, excuse me, like live streams from the stadium where they're doing batting practice just to see if any guys are like dapping each other up, saying goodbye, like seeing if they could get a little edge on like what might be happening. Cause there are guys that like they fully dress and like they show up to the stadium, they're fully dressed, they're ready to play. And then their manager's like, Hey, you just got traded to Los Angeles. So it's like, Oh, guess I'll uh, get on a plane tonight and go to Los Angeles. Like, and that's another crazy thing. Like us normies can't really relate to where it's like, Ian, what if you got into work tomorrow and your boss calls you into the office and he's like, Hey, Ian, we traded you to Seattle, man. You got to report there for work tomorrow. There's a lot of work for you to do tomorrow. So hop on a plane. The This new company is going to pay for your plane ticket, and uh, you have to relocate your whole family overnight. I mean, if they adjust my pay for cost of living, I'm cool with it, honestly. <laughs> um, it's so dumb to see what the angels are doing to be honest like i i i'm 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 glad you brought up the angels because holy shit they 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 really kind of bombed their franchise this season like they could have traded otani and gotten an absolute boatload of prospects back in return they 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 could have been set for the next 10 years and they decided no we're gonna try and stay competitive and they traded for giolito and i don't remember who else um once they were out of it, they immediately they they started to wave these guys, and I was like, okay, so Otani's now going to leave for nothing, and you now have less prospects than you did before you started. Basically, you're you're just going into next season without Renfro, who was who had been an Angel for a long time, without Giolito, who was an ace in Chicago for a long time. Uh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like. I just it just doesn't make sense to me. Like they're going in with an injured Mike Trout, and that's it. I I, I can't going back to you know the question you asked me about about you know if I was a free agent, would it matter? You know how the team is doing. There's no chance in hell if I'm a free agent, am I ever going to the fucking Angels at this <laughs> point? Like yeah. they're done, man. But. Okay, so it also ties into what I was saying, though, about I think baseball players really only care about the money and the dollar signs. Yeah. Where they just, in 2019 or 2018, whichever, they 
re-signed Mike Trout to like a massive like $425 million contract that'll have him playing for the team through the 2030 season. So they still got seven years left of Mike Trout and they're going to pay him $35 million for the next seven years to not even sniff the playoffs. If I was Mike Trout, man, and I cared about winning games at all, I would say I've already dedicated the first half of my career, the first you know, my entire youth, he's now, I think almost 30 or he is 30 where he's not going to win anything (laughs) with the angels. And now I really wonder with this Shohei Otani news, they kind of, I feel like their logic was, or at least the narrative around it was that with all those moves they made at the trade deadline, getting Gilito, not trading Otani is that that was their bid to show Otani. We are a serious organization. We do want to win. We do want to be a playoff team and we want to build around you. We got you and Trout as the building blocks and the cornerstones. We just need some help around you. And so then you sign these guys, they don't work out. Now you wave half the team. Trout's injured. Otani's injured. So this team's bottom of the barrel again. The A's, nobody's looking at the A's to do anything this season. And so if you're Shohei Otani, are you even entertaining rejoining them next season or are you taking any offer to get you off the angels team oh hell no otani said he wants to win that was the that was the thing that basically the angels made that push because because he came out and said losing sucks he he knows just like everyone else on this earth knows it doesn't matter where he goes he's getting a bag and he's absolutely getting the kitchen sink thrown at him um Record breaking, probably. Is he going to be the first fifty million a year player? Like that's that's the kind of shit we're talking about when it comes to Otani. So, if I'm Otani, knowing that, knowing no matter where I go, I'm going to get a bag, and I I, I have I kind of have the pick of the litter. No matter who throws the money at me, I can just pick the best team. Like I I can pick Boston. I can pick New York. I can pick. I don't know, fucking Chicago, Houston. It doesn't matter. Like the money, the the, the money can come secondary when you know you're 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 going to be getting generational wealth in 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 the winter. I think it's crazy too because he honestly should probably get fifty million dollars a year. You're talking about a guy who can be at the top of your pitching staff and can hit every single night no matter where you go because of the new dh rules right you just you're getting too much not to be able to to pay a guy like that and and the production that he's going to give you i mean league leader in home runs right i think still might be him and matt olson who have been kind of going you know one and two for the past couple of seasons but Man, guys, I think it speaks to the ineptitude of the front office, how they have struggled to put anybody around Mike Trout before Shohei comes in. Shohei comes in, is a superstar from the jump. They cannot fit anybody around them again. And then in their last-ditch effort, they fail miserably to the point where they have to cut guys that they traded for. Like, that speaks volumes to the ineptitude of a front office. And I'm no Angels fan. I don't even know what the GM's name is. But you could see from the product on the freaking baseball diamond that this team has sucked for a long time, too. So if I'm Shohei Otani, I'm not even meeting with the GM this upcoming offseason. I'm fielding any and all offers from anybody else but them because what a travesty it has been. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you guys. If I were Shohei Otani, I'd be running for the hills. 
I, I mean, it, playing alongside Mike Trout is all well and good, but Otani doesn't even look happy, man. Like you said, you said it right, Ian. He he did come out and say he wants to win, and I think he's smart enough to know that that's not going to happen on the Angels. It, this guy's 29 years old, so he's really entering the prime of his career. He's probably got four or five solid good years left in him. Uh, but I just wonder about, you know, like you said, Mike, he is two players wrapped in one, so you pay him. 25 mil for his batting, 25 mil for his pitching. But is that, you know, all of that wear and tear going to really catch up to him later in his career? And, and are we starting to see that now where he's out with this injury? I think it's a shoulder or an elbow or something like that. They're shutting him down from pitching the rest of the year. They say he's still going to DH, but I was even seeing a report, I think, saying that he might not pitch at all next season or at least for the first half of next season. And if he does need Tommy John surgery, that's not – just season ending that can be career altering yeah that's an issue man that's an issue i i did not know that <laughs> that that's going to be a tough pill to swallow but i think there's a lot of teams who are going to you know put their eggs in that basket and see what comes from it because you're not just talking about production on the field. You're talking about all the different things that come from having a player like Shohei Otani, right? You got a country backing you. You're going to have more people buying your merchandise, becoming a fan of your team, all just because of him. But that is scary because to invest that heavy into somebody to not get your full production from, yeah, I've, that's not good, man. And especially a guy who's coming to his prime, if he has to have Tommy John surgery and his pitching goes to the wayside, that sucks, man. I, I, that would be hard to stomach as a franchise. But the beautiful thing is, as a Diamondbacks fan, we ain't got to worry about that <laughs> shit because there's no way in hell we're ever going to be able to freaking sign a, a guy like that. That's At least for right. now. At least for now. Well, and so this is interesting. I, I guess now I'm kind of looking into it right now live as we're going through it uh otani's already had tommy john surgery in uh 2018 there was damage to his ucl and, and he had tommy john so is that a procedure they can do again yeah yes they, yeah so it, exactly it, it, it it's it's happened before where where players will get tommy john surgery multiple times it it, it once you once you repair that ligament and go back out and start throwing again, it has a higher risk of getting torn again. It's kind of not as strong as it was before the Tommy John surgery, so it's just something you have to keep an eye on and and monitor. I do remember that season, too, because he was complete ass right before tearing it, and people were kind of saying he was a, a, a bust and things like that. It wasn't until 2020 when people started to realize that that – Otani was the the franchise player that he is. And I'm I'm curious if maybe some teams will try to sign him and put some kind of clause in his contract or maybe some teams he he used to play right field too when he first came into the league. He was doing right field DHing and pitching, which is bananas. And uh you know, maybe maybe some team will want to try and throw him like a bargain price and they'll say, we just want you as a right fielder or they'll go the opposite way and say, we just want you as a pitcher, depending on what they value more. It'll be interesting to see what kind of deals work out. I, I He's not going to sign any of the things I just named, but um, I do, I, I do want to see, I'm just excited for the Otani free agency, I guess is all I'm trying to say. 
Yeah, I'll be curious to see where he ends up. Uh, there were talks about the Diamondbacks trading for him and being able to sign him long-term. I just, I don't think we're realistically in that talk at all. Uh, it's fun to dream. Um, it's free to dream, as Tallman might say, but that's that's a pie in the sky. I, I do. That's a great point, though, with you mentioning that he played right field and DH. I, I, just, I wonder if that was because of how the, the league rules were set up, where the pitchers in the NL would bat instead of DH. So maybe when they were playing NL teams, they had Otani in there in right field. But now that it's universal DH across both leagues, there's just no need for him to do that anymore. I wonder if that's more of a part of it. But if he's a good fielder too, like why not? I mean, it's not like that that was my old, like when I first met you, Ian, you know, I wasn't the biggest baseball fan. I kind of made the joke of like, it's such a slow, boring game. You kind of, if you're a fielder, you just kind of like, you could sit down in the grass for half the game and not, and not do anything. But that, that also kind of works to the advantage, right? Where it's like you might only get, you know, half a dozen balls hit your way in a game. You might not have to do that much to where that's not like on a day off when he's not pitching, going out and standing in right field and shagging a couple balls isn't going to be like detrimental to his longevity at any given season. No, I just think it – and then and then that's another thing is like do you, is that do you need him to play right field so that you can open up another hitter in the DH spot? that might not be able to play right field. And I just think that goes into the broader conversation of the angels getting more pieces to be successful. But once we launch Valley sports plug, Los Angeles, and we fully staff that operation, then we can ask them about it. But for now, I want to, I want to stay in the vein of Valley sports here and want to talk about the basketball season that is coming up here in uh, just a little over a month. I think middle to end of October is when the NBA gets started back up. But right now, we're in the heart of the FIBA World Cup tournament. It will be wrapping up next week. I think I saw on the 10th. So this actually at the end of this week or beginning of next, depending on how you split up your weeks. But Sunday uh, will be the final. Um, the second half or it's not the quarterfinal, the half final, I think I saw it's called. Uh, basically, the Team USA is going to go up against Germany and Slovenia is going to go up against Canada. Uh, so we could see a USA-Canada FIBA World Cup championship. Uh, but Mike, I know you were really excited to talk about the Suns' new addition, Yuta Watanabe, who's been absolutely killing it for Team Japan. What what have you been seeing from him? Oh, you know, I had to bring it up because Ian, our resident Nets fan, sometimes we just gotta rub him a little bit, get him to cry, you know, reminisce on you know what he had, but now is here. What could have been? What could have been? Uh, Utah, man, he, he did some really good things in his time in FIBA play, even though they didn't make it to the knockout round, you know, five games averaged about 15 points, 6.2 rebounds. Uh, they finished at the top of their group, uh, with a three and two record and they basically punched their ticket for the Paris Olympics. So, you know, that's always something that's super cool to see from, you know, guys playing for their country. And it was just funny to just see him out there. He looked like a giant for Team Japan, right? And he's a guy who's, what, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, but he had some cool blocks. Uh, didn't shoot that great from outside, but, you know, that's going to be his bread and butter and what he's really going to have to, you know, make an impact for when he comes to the Phoenix Suns. But, Ian, did you see anything from FIBA with Utah and just, you know, tell us, once again, how sad you are that he's no longer on the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> um, I didn't see anything FIBA related regarding Utah, other than he's just kind of he's the the glue guy on that team. Um, I I did really love Utah on the Nets. He is 
He's going to win your heart in Phoenix for sure. He definitely went there for Kevin Durant. He plays incredibly well next to him. Um, usually when Kevin Durant is in the post or just looking for a shot on the outside, he can kick it out to Yuta, who always finds a way to be open on the three. He's also sneaky good at defense. He can lock down people. Um, I think I think he's gonna he'll he'll win a game or two in those in in those lineups where it's gonna be Kevin Durant in the second unit. I think I think that those are gonna be the games where you know, you're going to come on here and go, wow, look at you to last night. Like it's, he's, he's a fun player. He's got a really good heart. I do miss you a lot. Um, I will miss you I should say, since the season hasn't started yet. Um, I, I, I don't hate him for his move or anything like that. I mean, it makes sense. He's ring chasing a little bit, but he also knows that, you know, he, 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 developed a friendship with Kevin Durant. So it's a little bit more than just saying like, Oh, I want to go to Phoenix because I want to win a ring. Yeah. And I don't think it's just because he wants to win a ring as well, but he's going to be given an opportunity to come off the bench, be a contributor. Like you said, he could win some games for us just from his, you know, extreme outside shot, just a top notch, man. I love what the kid can do. Go off the dribble as well big body can finish inside isn't scared to attack the rim either but i think like a lot of these guys that the sun's got with uh you know bates job uh you know these are one year deals even though they're two years right but they're player exceptions right so that second year they could they can cut out of it and a lot of these guys are basically on the prove it deal so they can see if they can get paid in the off season and this is a great place for these guys to be, to contribute and go get their money like the Bruce Browns of the world. You know what I mean? Like, I would not be surprised to see if Utah is successful with the Phoenix Suns, go out and get a Cam Johnson-like contract, a four years, $80 million, something like that, where you'll be like, wow, he really got the bag, you know, with playing 20 minutes a game for the Phoenix Suns. and. Hopefully he'll be able to go and flourish somewhere else. But I'm seeing a lot of these guys just as rental players for the Phoenix Suns this year. And unfortunately, we're probably going to fall in love with them. And then they're going to be gone just like that. You know, the one guy I think about is Jock Landell. You know, we were hoping, I was hoping he'd be able to come back. Um, but then he goes and gets his money from the Houston Rockets. So I'm just, I'm not getting too attached, right? We haven't even played any basketball yet, so... You know, who know who knows? There's gonna be one of those guys that we're gonna be yelling at <laughs> on the TV screen day in, day out, unfortunately. Hopefully it's not him, but I can't get too attached too early. No, nah, a ton of all, all the basketball, really, ahead of us. And I know some everyone's already writing the Suns into the, the playoffs, obviously, and probably, you know, hopefully, I don't want to say probably, but hopefully the finals. But that's where that's what people are saying. I mean, you just look at the way the roster is constructed right now. There's so much talent. We haven't had this much bench depth since maybe 2005. It's really a lot of cause for optimism. And Mike, you and I talked about Utah on past the outlet a couple episodes back and, and showed some clips of this guy. He, he's a Kevin Durant guy. They, they built that bond and that camaraderie on the nets and Ke and Kevin really trusts him. And when you have, when you bring him into a situation like that, where he's building his confidence through playing with the Nets, playing with Kevin Durant, now playing in this international tournament, being that guy for Team Japan, 
it, I've said it before. There's going to come a point in time in this season when Kevin Durant misses some games. I, I don't want to foreshadow any serious injuries. Hopefully it's not a significant amount of games, but like guys, let's be realistic. Let's look at the history of it all. Kevin Durant is going to miss games. Uh, Brad Beal is going to miss games. Devin Booker is going to get his seasonal wintertime hamstring injury and probably miss some games. And so we're going to need guys like Yuta to come step in, fill in, probably starting at some point, at least for a handful of games, and be competitive and keep us on track to be one of the top teams in the West and reach that ultimate goal of the NBA Finals and hopefully bringing the first championship here. It's it, you're absolutely right, Mike. These guys are rental players. It's going to be hard to not fall in love with them and to not, not fall in love with this team. If the product on the court is everything that we've been promised and these guys can really put it together, I think there is so much room for optimism. But I think like we were kind of talking about when we were talking baseball is like in the NBA, these guys look at the way the roster is constructed and they say, I want to be a part of that. Like maybe I could go get some some money, a little more money somewhere else, but I want to take you know, one, a one-year contract to kind of bet on myself, play with a good team, get some good exposure, learn something from good coaches, good players, and then parlay that into a big final contract. Yuta is going to be 29 in October. His birthday is the day after mine, the day after Ketel Marte. And uh, so he's no, he's no spring chicken, Mike. It, when it go, comes to professional sports in the NBA, it seems like you got from like, 18, 19 to your mid thirties. So he's about the halfway point in his uh, potential, you know, as far as NBA player goes. And the guys who play into their mid to late thirties are usually the superstars. You don't see too many role players hanging out in the league for that long. So Yuta's uh, in a prime spot to do exactly what you're talking about, get some good film, get some good experience, and then potentially be a, a starter on another team, you know, a couple years down the line, or maybe, or maybe the Suns find a way to keep him around if he really separates himself from the pack and is going to be maybe our sixth man off the bench. I, I'm not really too sure what that looks like right now. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked for you. To, uh, I'm really excited with the way this team's been constructed. Uh, kind of staying in the vein of uh, the the uh, FIBA World Cup and this all this basketball that's been happening in the offseason, did you guys see the comments that were made by the uh, – uh, Team USA sprinter Noah Lyles. Are you keeping up on this? Basically, here's what it says that uh, he said the thing that hurts me the most is I have to watch the NBA finals and they have world champion on their head. World champion of what? The United States? Don't get me wrong. I love the US at times, but that ain't the world. And so, uh, got a mixed bag of reactions, a bunch of NBA players jumping in and reacting to it you got uh kevin durant there somebody helped this brother draymond green when being smart goes wrong you got kendrick perkins aaron gordon uh tyler hero dude that's my favorite one aaron gordon whatever i'm smoking buddy in the 200 meters yes (laughs) uh that's not happening but uh, you know, this is one of those things, Chris, that when it came across my timeline, I just really glanced over it. I took a look at it. I said, all right, buddy, uh, make your comments. And then I moved on with my life because I don't care. Like the NBA is the top league in the world. And you have to say that now because of the influx of European and the best players outside of the United States coming to play in this league. I mean, you can look as much as we don't want to talk about it. 
you talk about Luka Doncic playing with Real Madrid, which was one of the best uh, leagues in the world as well, playing at a high level, being young. What does he do? He comes to the NBA. That's what guys do. It's the best players in the world at this point. So you can label it world champion, whatever. I mean, I, I, I look at it as just who won the NBA finals. I don't really look at world champions, whatever. Or it's the same way for football. I'm like, who won the Super Bowl? It's like, uh, that's just how I see it. But who cares, man? Uh, who cares? Yeah, honestly. And I I don't want to hate on this guy too much. And obviously, like a month ago, nobody knew who Noah Lyles was. But I, I, I'm, I'm totally I'm on your side, Mike. I'm, I think I'm on the side of these NBA players as well, where it is the best players in the world. Like you could put the Charlotte Hornets up against Real Madrid. And I bet you Charlotte is going to win that game nine times out of 10. Because even though they're not the best team in the NBA right now, they're still filled with a roster of the best basketball players in the world. And it is such an international game. I mean, what is it? Like the last five uh, NBA MVPs have all been from other countries. Joel Embiid, Giannis, Nikola Jokic. It's... It's the place where all the and I'm just I know I'm just repeating what you said, but it's the place where all the best players in the country come to play, not the country, the world. And you can say it's like, oh, well, they're just trying to get the money. No, no, that's not the case, because with being the best, you get the most money as well. Like if the if these guys just love basketball and I know like uh, some people I've seen in this conversation hang their hat on. Well, Doncic said that the European basketball is a lot tougher and a lot more physical. It's like. Maybe, but did he say that it's a better brand of basketball? Did he say it's easier or you know, or more difficult? I don't think so. Like if those guys playing in Spain in the Euro League or whatever it is were truly better than NBA players, why would they just hang out over there making less money? Why wouldn't they come play on an NBA team, make good money, set their families up for generations to come and compete at the highest level? Because honestly, like, it is the highest level. And we see even with Team USA, they don't have the cream of the crop when it comes to NBA talent. It's There's no slouches on that team, don't get me wrong, but it's not – you don't have the old guard of, you know, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul. You don't even have Devin Booker. You don't, you don't have Kevin Durant. You don't have the guys that are the American superstars in the league right now playing – in the in this FIBA tournament and I'm sure they they will build out that roster for the Olympics next year and fully expect them to run the slate but it's funny because on the heels of this uh Team USA did take one loss in this FIBA basketball tournament to Lithuania they lost 110 to 104 I, from looking at the roster the only player I recognized was uh Jonas Valanciunas Jonas Valanciunas doing it to the USA uh-oh watch out but I I mean Valanciunas is a vet and that's another thing it's like when you are the best in your America and we put us out there as world champs the best in the world you're gonna have a target on your back like it's a chance every team that goes against the team USA in this basketball tournament that's their NBA finals that's their Super Bowl this is their chance to play the biggest game of their entire lives against some of the best players in the world and maybe get noticed by one of these teams where it's like okay maybe we will entertain you know or look into this guy from this country that we never considered because he's never he didn't play in college he maybe isn't playing on the best team in in any of these other leagues in the world and so this is a chance for them to get noticed and maybe they can parlay that into being 
on an NBA roster. So there's a reason for that, Mike, right? Like, and I, it's funny because I even think I saw Drake, um, of all people, chime in and, and he kind of roasted uh, this Noah guy a little bit. I think I, I, I did have the exact quote up here, but just to save us some time, it was something along the lines of like, oh, buddy thought this was going to be so hard. He probably practiced this speech in front of the mirror the night before thinking <laughs> he was really going to make make a big big name or a big wave for himself or something like that. But like I said, nobody knew who Noah Lyles was a month ago. And I'm not trying to 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 minimize him. It sounds like he's one of our best uh, you know, sprinters on our Olympic team. And I'm going to wish him the best in the 2024 Olympics and hope that he really shows out in his event for our country. Um, you know, a, a semantic argument, I guess you're right. It's not an international league because even though there is what one Canadian team in the rap in the Raptors, it's still just North America. Um, but there's no way to outside of these FIBA tournaments, there's no way to realistically make the NBA in international sports league. You can't travel intercontinentally and play NBA season. It's just not not feasible. So I know the M- the NFL is having those conversations about expanding into Europe and and there's a lot of players already complaining about what a logistical nightmare that would be. And that's just, that's a sport where you play once a week and you have bye weeks in there. Whereas you're talking about basketball where you're playing three, four games a week. It's just not possible. So it is what it is. Um, but I think absolutely world champs is, is a fair title for the, for the NBA champions. I, I and, and nobody thinks of that. Like, honestly, who thinks of that? Like, like I just think they, they won the NBA championship. They're the best team. Uh, the that's, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm confused. Like, where did this stem from? Like, why is this on the top of his brain? Because he wanted to call himself a world championship sprinter. And like, then he thought about, well, the NBA gets to call themselves world champions. Why does that happen? Like maybe he doesn't watch the game because I don't think of NBA champions who wins the NBA finals as world champions. I like, that's not, it doesn't come to my mind when I think about it. I, th- I say, who won the finals? Who won the finals last year? Like that's the only way I think of it. So it's I'm confused where this where this truly stemmed from and and why it came to fruition at all. Um, maybe it's because of uh, the dry time in sports that we were going through. But uh, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drag this kid down. I, everybody's entitled to their own opinions and their own thoughts. And you know, specifically for somebody who you know is in like an Olympic event, which is truly a world event, right? Like that's, he has a different viewpoint on that. I'm not really following Olympic sports like that all, all the time. So it's just odd. Like I, I hope you win the 200 meters, man. Cause Aaron Gordon's, you know, he's coming for you, man. Watch out. You're muted, Chris. Damn it! No, but you're, you're you're absolutely right. I I like I said, I'll root them on. Wish you the best, and but we, there's we've seen other athletes like uh, Tyree Kill in in football was talking about. He, he was a sprinter in col- high school and I think college too. Uh, so I, I don't think Aaron Gordon's going to bust out and and join the the track and field team for Team USA. But I do wish Noah Lyles all the best. Like I said, we'll be rooting for him in 2024. But Mike. We're about an hour 35 in uh, right now. Uh, looks like Ian had to cut out. He will not be rejoining us for for the remainder of this stream. But uh, I do want to talk a bit of pop culture and uh, some of the more specifically video games in the pop culture. I had another couple topics here to 
to toss your way and uh, maybe we can touch on them if we if we have time. I'm not. Are you are you cut to stress for time? You got a uh, dinner to make or anything like that? Oh, well, I got dinner to eat, but I'm good, man. Let's roll with it. Okay, hell yeah. Uh, so, Mike, you you texted me and you're really excited for Starfield. It was officially released today. It is available on uh, next gen Xbox. It's it's Xbox exclusive, right? It's a Microsoft exclusive. It's Xbox and PC exclusive. And PC. There you go. Had to yep. be on PC, of course. Uh, so you're excited about this one. Are, are you uh, Are you getting it day one or are you getting it in well, the near future? Well, I think we might have had some communication switched up here, Chris, because I knew it's a big topic within that culture right now because of Bethesda trying to kind of come back and the Xbox exclusivity that they have with that. I've never really been a big Bethesda guy. And RPGs, the way that I tried Fallout 4, couldn't get into it. But this is one where I look like I'm kind of interested. I want to see w- what comes with it. But now that I have an actual gaming PC, I can actually play it. Because I don't have any of the new consoles. But what about you? Are you thinking about dipping your toes into Starfield? Yeah, um, I'm curious about it. I'm real similar to you. I tried to play Fallout 3, I think, uh, way back in the day on uh, my 360. And I, I got burnt out real quick. It's Bethesda games in general are a lot of grinding uh, from what I've been able to gather. I did play Skyrim for a little bit as well. I've never been too much into the, um, what do you call it? Like the like the open world RPGs, which is funny because I, I, I'm a big nerd. I play RuneScape. That's, that's a little bit of a different kind of RPG. It's not really linear like... You know, these games do have a, a story where you can beat the game in a reasonable amount of time where beating the game in RuneScape is, well, we're not even going to get into that. I'm not going to worry <laughs> about the details of that. But to answer your question, um, and, and even another topic I had written down here, because you're you're all in on the PC. You got your game and PC all set up. I, I've said it for almost a decade now. I definitely want to get a good PC gaming setup. But I am, since 2008, no, even before then, I've been a console gamer my entire life. I've had my Xbox Gold subscription since I think 2007, 2008, started playing Halo 3 and Call of Duty 4. So just like my heart and my familiarity is with console gaming. And I get that you can plug in your controller, you can play your PC just like a console, but it's different than, and even still, you could still do it. But I'm what my point and what I'm fall back to is I love having it on my big 70 inch TV in the living room and sitting on the couch and kicking my feet up and chilling out with my controller in my living room where yes you could set up your pc in the living room yes with most new smart tvs (laughs) you can set up your computer to there too um but xbox really in the last decade has really transitioned into being like a full full full-on like home entertainment device where you got all your streaming services set up through there i don't know if you know this but like most smart tvs they do have like streaming set up where you can just you know go on the netflix app through your tv but the stream quality isn't always going to be as good as if you stream it off of your Xbox or your PlayStation just because of the operating power. Like the T from my and my very limited understanding of it is that these smart TVs have like the bare minimum processing capabilities and components to be able to do that streaming where at least I don't know about you. It could just be where I live in the Valley, Santan Valley, where sometimes it'll go, it'll downgrade from 1080 to like 720 or 480 where it's like, I'm watching some blurry episode of how I met your mother and it's usually, you know, brief, but my point being is I'm committed to the console. I'm not going to be able to play Starfield until I upgrade. Um, I think in the next couple months here, I, I think I decided and just actually recently that 
I am going to get the next gen console. Hopefully still keeping that dream alive of getting a gaming PC one day. Um, but right now my heart is set on getting the getting the next gen Xbox. There so I'm going to check out Starfield. I think I'm going to check it out. There it's on go, Game Pass, man. so might as well. It was funny. You were starting to contradict yourself a little bit with every uh, you know thing that you would bring up. But then it's like, well, no, you could do it with PC. You could do, uh, uh, but I no, I feel you. Chris, I was the same way, right? I was an original Xbox guy, and I was an only Xbox guy, right? I I wasn't a, a PlayStation person. Like, I'm not getting the PS2 or PS3. You know, I was playing the original Halo on the freaking old Xbox. I remember ESPN 2K5 being my favorite sports game with Terrell Owens on the front. Just a lot of great memories. Freaking achievement hunting when the 360 came out, trying oh, yeah. to get 100% on games. And then just, I don't know, as you get older, it just becomes a little bit different. I had one of the original Xbox Ones, and when games started to come out, my console just, the poor thing was so beat up, couldn't keep up anymore. So I went for, I don't know, probably two, three years without consistently gaming at all. And then finally, when we started to get more into BSP and what we've been doing here and doing all the edits, I said, I think it's time to invest in a PC that has the operating power that I need for editing. But why not just add the cherry on top to throw gaming on it as well? So shout out Jack. He's the one who hit me up with all the specs to get what I needed. And unfortunately, Chris, I think what's happened over the past couple of years, because I am such a heavy single player gamer, I love story-driven games. I love getting immersed within a world. And you might say, well, how are you? How do you not like the possibility of doing Starfield, right? Now I'm pulling at you. I'm contradicting myself <laughs> a little bit. Uh, there's just different versions, right? I loved yeah. Assassin's Creed. I loved... Uh, so then when I got my PC, I basically went into the back catalog of everything PlayStation because, you know, Naughty Dog has a great track record with The Last of Us and the Uncharted games. And just went through, burned those down to the ground, played the Spider-Man games. And the unfortunate thing with Xbox and Microsoft is I just haven't seen the dedication to true single-player IPs that are really capturing my interest. Going back to the Xbox One, man, like everything that has that I've played up until my thing went kaput, what you could find on PlayStation, but there was never those Xbox exclusives like we got at the beginning of the era with Halo and Gears of War and whatnot. And Xbox just hasn't ca caught up when it comes to that. So I think I told you if I do get another console, I think it's going to be a PS5, which is crazy to me after growing up being 13, 14 years old you know cracking open nba live 2002 with steve francis on the cover for the first time telling myself i'm never going to play anything but xbox for the rest of my life and it's funny how the world changes but got some cool games coming up too man cyberpunk 2077 has a dlc coming out that game is finally fixed after three years we got spider-man 2 coming in october as well so Lots of long nights on his computer, so I apologize to my fiance. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. I might need to get on more of the single player games because I was just thinking about that last night. Like I've always been a lot more into the sports games uh, than I feel like you are. Uh, where right now I'm playing MLB The Show 
and I just recently started playing Madden again because I, I kind of play the the sports games with the seasons. Um, but I was really disappointed with NBA 2K23, I think it was. I think that was the last one that came out. So I'm not I'm not going to rush out and get 2K24. Like, honestly, I played full price for 2K23 and definitely did not get my money's worth out of it. I think I've probably played a collective, like, four hours of it, which isn't a lot. I know I don't know if anyone is not a gamer, but that is – that is not a lot uh, when it comes to how much time you can really put into a game. Well, let me ask you this. Did you buy a physical copy of it or did you do it the digital download like a lot of things are nowadays, right? Because brick and mortar stores are going to the wayside. But did you buy a physical copy because Devin Booker was on the cover? That You know, that's a great question, Mike. And I was a holdout for a long time of always getting the physical copies GameStop, though, is just absolute garbage now. It doesn't make any sense to buy physical copies. I, but and the we've one talked time, about it. I know. Booker, the one time to get it because your boy's on the cover. You don't, this is when you t- turn? It's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it is ridiculous. I should have bought it at least to display. And maybe I still could. Maybe I can go buy it. I'll check on Amazon no, right now. Not, dude, <laughs> now you could go on Etsy and get some kind of. Uh, print out post of it or you can just get the poster you don't need to don't be given 2k any more money dude <laughs> did you see what they're doing with the like the season pass stuff now as if the vc hasn't been you know something that started to kill the game over the past couple of years now they're adding season pass stuff have you seen that uh i feel like I, you had sent me something and i i full disclosure i did not look into it at all but what's going on is it's like a battle pass type pretty much right like you buy you get the normal game and then if you pay ten dollars you get certain amount of levels or whatever and then there's a twenty dollar version as well where you can get level skips or something it it's just boggles my mind man like uh, how do we and that's where i that's where my love for sports games has died over the past couple of years not that i don't enjoy content creators who do madden ultimate teams or mlb the show ultimate teams you know fifa i know that's a, it, literally the cards in fifa that people buy packs for is a billion dollar ind- industry itself for ea just from those packs but it continues to let these companies get away with the dog shit that they continue to put out year in year out without really crafting and making sure that the game is ready to go because it's just you know a title update with the new players added in the rookie classes and whatnot it's like they continue to not build out the game properly and give you really 70 dollars worth of you know an experience and now you have to spend even more money on top, especially if you do 2K and you want to play online and not grind it out and actually play with people, you got to spend $50 more to be an 85. Oh, at least, like, at least that much more. Yeah, Mike, the, you're not wrong. It's the way that they've gone about this and it's all chasing profits, right? Because they're raking in the dough from all this DLC and people are more than willing to spend $200 or more on NBA 2K from the game to the additions and it's completely broken the online experience like you and i who are guys that are more casual gamers when it's really all said and done 
you remember, I mean, shit, it was probably five or more years at this point. We we had bought, I think, 2K17 or one of the one it was of the one K- with it was the one with Kyrie Irving on the cover. So was that 16? Do I even have it over here anymore? No, I don't even have it over here anymore. But yeah, like yeah, it, we bought the game. I remember us going online. We're like, hell yeah, we're in our brown clothes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you 2K just popped open the game. Two K eighteen. We couldn't get guys to freaking. We couldn't get a third player to play with us. Yeah, well, because I didn't want to <laughs> spend extra money. Like well, ridiculous. And that's what's even more funny is like we've talked about this before. I don't even. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show or not. I do want to get the season pass, but just real quick on the point of like. Yeah, you can play with guys in the park or in the rec or whatever it is who have a high-level player, 80, 90, 99, whatever, but they don't know basketball. They know the video game, but they don't know basketball. It's where it's like us at 65, 70 overall rating are still able to make use our basketball knowledge and basketball IQ to translate into the video game to still be competitive, but nobody wants to give us a chance because they just look at our level and it's like, ah, I'm not playing with that guy. He didn't spend an extra – twenty dollars to get the hall of fame edition uh just christian thinks that we're nerds thanks well, christian he's not <laughs> he's not wrong he's not wrong he's not wrong <laughs> but yeah this season passed so what is it you get level up rewards um so now there's levels because there's seasons it's not just you continue to cr- move your player up you get 40 my credit my team or my career credits you get level skips like I, like I don't even know, Chris. It's been so long that I played 2K. I I don't even know if I'd be good at the game, really, to be honest with you. You know, back in the day when I think, oh man, was it um, 2K11? The first time that they brought back Michael Jordan, like I destroyed that game. But that also was before they really added in slower movements. You know, more realistic. You know, just general basketball style gameplay and they cut down on you know your ability if if you make the right decision you make the right pass you can get a good jump shot wide open and it's going in 90 percent of the time right when they started to change that to the shot meter even more and it's like percentage contested like i i got left behind dude like i guess you call me the boomer of uh, video game generations like i i just didn't have the patience or the wherewithal to learn how to be great at that game anymore and i don't know maybe one day i'll come back to it but if this is the model that keeps going on i'm not going to be able to find myself purchasing this kind of shit dude it's the same thing with madden yes i would love to go out there and scramble with kyler murray but i can go and pop in freaking madden 2011 and have more modes than they do now like it's ridiculous and it's not anything new like we're not shedding light on things that people don't know about if you're within this community but for something to have consistently been going on for a decade and these companies like ea and 2k not make any adjustments because the bankroll keeps coming in you just stuck in the mud, man. And like, I'm not going to yeah. support it because I don't have the time. I'm also, I also just get frustrated with sports gaming, man. When I lose, like I'm going to break my TV. So I don't, I just bought a, a PC. I don't want to break anything and have to spend more <laughs> money. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things with sports games versus like a shooter or an RPG. It's like, 
in an RPG, you're going through a story and maybe you come across a boss or a part in the story where it's kind of hard for you to get by, but it's a challenge and you can overcome it and move on. Whereas when you're playing a sports game, you invest, you know, 30, 40 minutes, an hour into one game and then you lose at the buzzer or elsewise. It's like, I, I personally, I, when I do that, I feel like I almost, you know, wasted an hour of my time or, you know, when I, when I'm playing with this, with, you know, 2k and it comes down to a game winning shot and I miss, I'm like, well, fuck, there goes 45 minutes of my life. But <laughs> right. I'm never going to get back. And granted, even if I win, what did I really get out of it other than that quick little dopamine rush or whatever? But I, I do love gaming. I'm not, I'm not trying to knock that or anything, but it, it just seems like there's a fine line, right? Between like, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And also trying to progress your product where I felt like 2k had really reached its peak from like, like you said, like 2011, 2012, to probably 2020, 19, 20, where those were some really good NBA 2Ks, but you're right. They've year after year started to slow it down some more. And I know that they, they build themselves as a basketball simulation. You know, that's why NBA live died is because 2K absolutely dominated the market showed that they were a superior game. But like I said, after playing 2K 23, it's, they've gone too far in that direction. And I think they've lost track of it. It's a game, guys. It is a game. It needs to be playable. It needs to be fun. And when I'm doing very fundamentally sound things and missing a left-handed layup because the animation is so goddamn slow, yeah. it's just it's, when I when I pull a wide open three-pointer and I miss it because my meter was this far off, it's just it's not fucking fun anymore, man. And it's just a grind. And on top of that, when you consider like we were talking about where guys like you and I, we would rather buy the game for whatever $60 it is and play the game and grind it out versus a guy who will just buy a hundred dollars worth of VC on day one to have his level 85 level 90 overall created character just so he can go online and play with other people like that. So where it's like, it just makes it not fun. And I know like sitting here talking about it now, like a part of me will be interested in giving 2k24 a shot just to see if they kind of go back to, cause even, even last year, I think 2k22 I, I liked that game. I played the shit out of that game. It was really, really pretty good. They changed it a little bit from the previous year, but not so much to where it wasn't at the core of it the same game, where I just felt like 22 k 23 was a completely different game that I just did not enjoy whatsoever. So I'd hate to see the death of 2K, but if it takes them putting out a couple bad games to figure it out, okay. But it's not just I, – I can't believe that it's just me, but – with all these things that they're doing, they, they're just seeing dollar signs. I don't think they yeah. care about how many people are online, how many people are purchasing the game. Dude, it's tough because, I mean, video games now is a billion-dollar industry as well. And, like, the culture of 2K is huge. I mean, you have all these content creators, right? You have 2K teams. Like, there's 18 there's to 20 league. There's yeah. 18 to 25-year-old kids who literally their job is to play 2K. And, like... That's that's video games as a whole, right? The industry continues to move forward. So if you're consistently seeing those dollar signs, there's just no need for these companies to try and move the needle to service the community and the people who have been in it, you know, since the beginning, because they're still making so much money. They don't give a shit, dude. They know that the copies are going to sell. I mean, that's why Madden ships every year as a half-broken game because people buy the hell out of it. I mean, and it's so yeah. sad, dude, because some of my 
on YouTube. I'm a big I'm a big consumer of YouTube. It's not just shout out because we're streaming on YouTube right now, but I, I love there's a guy from Canada, TD Barrett. He plays Madden. Like that's his thing, dude. And he does seasons where he'll pick a team and go into the off seasons and make trades and that kind of stuff. And I still can't find myself, you know, ponying up the money to purchase the new Madden to play it for myself because I just know how frustrated I'm going to get. I mean, like the last time I had, <laughs> the last time I had season pass, I downloaded Madden 23. I played like three games. I barely knew what the hell was going on. And I won two, lost one. And I was like, that's it, dude. I can't do it no more. Yeah. No, I'm that's, with you. That's just, okay. Now I sound like I'm the old man <laughs> on the rocker on the front porch, right? Back in my day. Sorry, folks. That's where, that's where it's going, right? I'm almost to the point I'm playing in 35 plus basketball leagues. So sue me. I'm getting there. <laughs> and maybe that's, maybe that's just what it is, man. Maybe we're just growing up. Cause I remember I used to be able to sit there and play 2K for hours on end. And now, yes. And yeah. any sports game I play, like even 2K, when it was when I was still enjoying it, like I would play one game and then be like, ah, I really don't have the energy or the willpower to sit here and play another whole 30, 40 minute game. And that's what I'm running into with the games I'm playing now. And which is why I said I might need to expand my horizons and start checking out some of these RPGs is that I play I, like that's kind of been my thing lately is I, I played one game in the show, a nine inning game takes about 40, 45 minutes. And then I don't want to do that again. So I play, I fire up Madden and I play one game of Madden again, like 30, 40 minutes and then I'm good. And then I, I've also added apex into the the mix again. That's right. Cause I, I do like my shooters. Apex is one of the best battle Royale games out there. You should go check it out. But Mike, I think we're getting close to the end and wrapping this up here. I, uh, while we're still talking video games though, I did want to talk a bit. We talked about Bethesda. They got their Starfield game that just came out. It's the first new IP for Bethesda in 25 years. Uh, they had the Elder Scrolls series and uh, the Fallout series. And now they have Starfield. So I'm sure there will be spinoffs of this and, and more games to come in the Starfield series. Um, but another giant in the RPG world is Rockstar Games. And for over a decade now, we've been hearing about GTA 6. And it's, I think at this point it's been confirmed. It's in the works. There's no release date. There's not too much. I, I can't trust any of these leaks that come out because it seems like it's all just GTA five mods and other, like other things like that. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, uh, did you see this uh, report that GTA six might cost $150 on release? Excuse me. How in the hell is that a possibility? Please explain to me how a game will need to be $150 at release. I, I have no clue. I don't know if that's just they're banking on the the thirst and the desire for people to want to get this game. And is it really going to have $150 worth of content to offer on release? Like, I think Rockstar is smart enough to not do this like Cyberpunk did and release a half-assed game, which I think is why it's taken over a decade for them to get this out. Uh, but it sounds like from all the rumors, what, however much you can trust him, is that this is going to be the most massive world for this type of game you've ever seen. Um, it's going to be, obviously, there's going to probably have the main storyline. There's talks of having the first female protagonist. Um, but then also the online play. I'm sure that with the success of GTA V online, I think that's probably going to be where they really spend a lot of their focus in making that 
something that they can again probably juice for the next 10 to 15 years in GTA 6 and I, I don't want to say it could be the end of the GTA franchise because who could really say um but man uh, uh yeah I'd have to really see it laid out in front of me to justify paying 150 dollars for for a game that you're going to pay play on a $500 console or likely a PC you'll probably be the best avenue to go there you know, I better get a freaking art book. I better get a CD. I better get some like wheel spinners, like a water bottle. Like it better be a damn collector's edition if I'm spending that much money. You can't yeah. tell me that I'm going to buy, especially by the time that this comes out. I mean, I know a lot of people have transitioned to pretty much just downloading their games, right? So you're not going into your brick and mortars, like I said, anymore. But to pay $150 just for a download, like, get the fuck out of here, man. Hell no. But yeah. what? It's there's going to be all if you're going to do that, you better hit every facet right at the marker, right at the start. Like you said, you can't have a Cyberpunk 2077 disaster, right? I think one of the other things is what's been really famous with GTA, like the role playing, right? Where you pick. You pick a character like guys are police officers or like janitors and you just go about your day and people make a whole bunch of content about that. I think I might have heard that Rockstar kind of bought the license to do that. So they might be incorporating that in their online mode as well. But Chris, I think this is where we're at as far as consumers within the gaming stratosphere as well as, you know, there's very few of us that are left that are single player only kind of people and games for games of service is just the norm nowadays, right? You see the success of Fortnite, apex legends, like you say, even call of duty to a point, right? Where you'd have modern warfare, they build it for one year and then they just continue to add content to that. So you can have this game stretch out for years and years and years. And, you can't tell me that GTA 5 didn't deserve to have DLC storyline content within that, right? I wouldn't have been surprised if it was something that was built within the structure that they were going to have at Rockstar for that game. But then as soon as online came out and fixed the kinks with that too, because remember that drop when we was still on freaking 360? What a disaster yeah. that was that first day. I remember us at Comanche trying to all load in and Nobody could basically get through their creative character stage, but you know they saw the progress of that, the the real high level, and the money that was coming in from that. And they said, "Scrap the DLC. We don't need to even do it anymore." So, yeah, I'm. It might be kind of like a last hurrah from GTA because what this cycles took twelve years. What's the next one going to take? Twenty four. Yeah, um, I, I might have carpal yeah. tunnel by that time. I don't even know if I'll be able to freaking play with a controller. Yeah, they also re-release it for the the Xbox Series Z and uh, all the future consoles that come, and then re-release it, and then give you the Game of the Year edition. And yeah, I, I I'm with you there. It's, oh, I think man. that's what we're we're starting to see is like they want the the cow that they can keep on milking, not just the one and done you know, here's a game, go play it. Um, it. You know, it makes a little bit of sense from a, you know, capitalist perspective of you want something that's going to be profitable and get you the most amount of profits. But from the gaming experience, it does kind of suck because this is kind of the, the environment we're left in with this pay to win. 
this really pay to play. Like you can get the game, but you're going to have to grind it out unless you pony up some extra cash on the side. But yeah. we'll have to, we'll have to deep dive, do a full on uh, pop culture stream, maybe here on the next round table or so. But Mike, this has been one of our longest streams of the year. Um, pretty, pretty glad we got to come here and talk. I, I want to thank Ian for joining us. I know he had to run and cut out, but he's usually always here on these round tables and, and really appreciate his uh, input on everything. But Mike, before we get out of here and I let you eat dinner, is there anything else you want to tell the people? No, man, dude. I just, I can't wait, dude. I, I feel like the past month, this is all I've been saying. It's like football season. It's here. Like the Arizona Cardinals are playing on Sunday. Football itself begins tomorrow. The regular season, like we're here. And basketball is right around the corner. I mean, uh, I, I can't get any more excited than where we're at right now. But let's keep it rolling, baby. Pittsburgh, here we come. Sir, a week from Friday, we will be in the Berg. We're going to travel from Phoenix to Pittsburgh, and we're going to check out some games. So uh, make sure you're checking us out on all our social media so you can see what we're getting into. I'm sure we'll have some uh, little uh, TikToks and tweets maybe up there. So uh, make sure you're following us at AZ underscore VSP on Instagram, Twitter, now X, TikTok, and Instagram. Also, Valley Sports Plug on YouTube and Facebook. Yes, Nico, football is back. Like Mike said, starting tomorrow, the Chiefs are going to take on the... Is it Chiefs? Uh, I thought it was... Oh, is it Chiefs uh, Lions? Is that tomorrow? Does that sound right? I was going to say Chiefs Bills, but... Chiefs Lions, you're right. Chiefs Lions. Got it. Five twenty Arizona time. So I'm gonna be checking that out. Obviously, Cardinals this week, uh, Sunday, going up against the Commanders. Start their season with Josh Dobbs at quarterback. So, man, that means we're gonna have to start our Arizona Cardinals recaps, Mike, every That's week it. throughout the season. So you definitely got to make sure you're following us so you can check all those out. But Mike, appreciate you, dog. I'm glad we got to to have this stream tonight. Uh, make sure you guys all tune in for our next one. We'll keep coming at you with content every single week for the rest of the year. Um, plenty of recaps and live streams to come. But for Michael Benjamin, Kruver, and I am Chris Patrick, and we'll see you next time. Peace.